Hey everyone, welcome to Resilience Unraveled. This podcast is the result of my fascination with subjects like resilience, accountability, burnout, life fulfillment and other life and work-based performance issues, as well as many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, people and organisations, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories and expertise, as well as my own synthesis of the key issues, strategies, tips, tools and resources to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, why not go over to our site qedod.com. If you'd like some resources on how to manage and beat burnout, head to qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 for some goodies. Stay tuned to the end to find out details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to John Golden. And uh, John's someone who I've met before uh, online, and uh, we had a very pleasant session together, um, actually recording a podcast. And now it's his turn to be a guest, and um, he's got a fascinating story. And you'll pick up straight away that he has a, a warm, familiar accent to look forward to listening to. So... Well, for me, good evening, John, and good morning for you. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks, Russell. Yeah, my, my warm accent. I'm here in uh, beautiful San Diego, but as you can tell from my accent, I'm originally from Dublin, Ireland, and uh, you know, been here in the States for like 22 years now. So, uh, yeah, it was great meeting you on, uh, on my podcast on Sales Pop, and it's, uh, I'm delighted to be able to reciprocate. Brilliant. Well, um, we chatted for a while and um, I thought you had a story um, which is really fascinating to discuss around the whole concept of resilience and business building and such like. So um, let's dive in. So, so tell me, how would you describe what it is, who you are and what you do at the moment? Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting question in many ways. Uh, but today I kind of have a dual role. I, uh, I am the Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer for Pipeliner CRM. And at the same time, I also am the executive editor of Sales Pop Online Sales Magazine, which is a, a digital multimedia magazine, which uh, you, uh, you, Russell, took part in, the, uh, in, one of our, in one of our webinars. So that's my, kind of my dual role. Uh, we've, um, I, as I said, I came to the States like 22 years ago during the dot-com era. I, I came, I moved from, a, I was part of a small company in Dublin that had opened up offices in uh, Silicon Valley, and I moved over uh, to Silicon Valley in the mid late nineties, and which was kind of a it was a bit of a crazy introduction to America, to be perfectly honest, uh, because Silicon Valley was so in the dot com era was just so kind of out of control in many ways, and it was so exciting, and mm. everybody was just running around, and this new business concept had come. They, they, you know, that whole business concept about having no plan to how you're ever going to make any uh, profit. Yes, um, and and everything, and all the business, all the old business uh, ideas were terrible, and they're all thrown out the window until, of course. It turned out that that was completely wrong. So it was uh, one of the first lessons for me arriving here was that uh, you have to be very careful when new and disruptive models come in because you have to be careful to look at what is, you know, what is old and needs to be disrupted and thrown out and what, is, and what are enduring business principles. Right. And I think that's a, and I think today 
we're we're in that same kind of situation again where there's companies who run up a ton of debt and have no path to profitability that's a, that anyone can see and we're still being told the same story about oh well that doesn't matter it's all about top line growth and uh so for me that was a great first lesson of arriving here was the fact that ultimately building a solid business requires you to you know, to have a vision of how you're actually going to finance that business eventually and that this whole idea of just the wild west uh, as it was is not something that's sustainable yeah you often hear on other podcasts and reading around that the sort of PE venture capital economy is really yeah. sort of taken off and I mean their and their approach is to build a portfolio and they sort of don't really care if a team fail or do badly because it's that one unicorn that funds the rest of the pot and I think that drives this idea of you know revenue growth and, and arguably you know that models that model for them has been around since time immemorial just just you know irrespective of the technology in a way. Well, it is, and and it's a and it's a great model if you're on that end of it, uh, where you can yes. obviously take take. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, because you're taking other people's money and investing it, and if and if those people get a return, and it's one out of the, as you say, one company out of the twenty or thirty in the in the fund that actually ends up, uh, you know, taking off. Well, then you know everybody's happy, not so much the other companies. <laughs> and and it's and it's, inter- and it's interesting from my perspective if you think about an organisational resilience that. The idea of having having a cash pot that's mm-hmm. given to you is a very different sort of structure and methodology and and type of leadership and governance that's needed from having a bootstrap thing where you you know you, you have to actually grow from revenue. Um, you know, the, I think this whole idealistic thing about pool tables, such like and you know weird yes. chairs, mm-hmm. has come from the funded economy, hasn't it? Well, actually, you know. Well, well, irrespective of the technology, those bootstrap businesses are, are you know, this, this, they seem to have this sort of culture of a traditional business in a sense. Maybe traditional is the wrong word, word there. Do you know what I mean? Well, they no, have no, more I'm, resilience, don't they? They actually Well, yeah, they, I, I, would, I would completely agree with you. And, uh, you know, if you fast forward to about six years ago when I was, I had run a couple of companies uh, in the States. Actually, I had run a couple of businesses that were owned by Informa. Uh, PLC, which is actually on the London Stock Exchange, one of the you know, a large, very large, uh, multi-billion-dollar company that runs uh, conferences, and they had training business, and I ran a couple of their training businesses, but uh, which got sold actually to a private equity company in New York. And after that, uh, after that, I transitioned out, and I started to, uh, I wanted a little bit of a break, so I started to do some consultancy on my own, and uh, and one of my first. Customers was Nicholas Kimla from Pipeliner CRM, and I'd never heard of Pipeliner CRM. And Nicholas was based in in Los Angeles, uh, mm. and he's uh, he had come over from Austria, Vienna. Uh, he had moved his family over. Uh, something that is not typical of people, sort of at his stage of his career. He won't mind me saying, you know, he did this when he was in his mid fifties. He decided to come over here and. Uh, move Pipeliner CRM to the US and and bring his family with him and really start from scratch. And I was fascinated by, again, you talk about resilience. I mean, that was a gutsy move uh, by anybody. And especially to land in the US without any infrastructure or anything and build it from scratch. And so uh, he and I started, uh, he and I started conversing and doing a few projects together. And he'd actually read my, my first book, Winning the Battle for Sales, which is how he came to to contact me 
And then he asked me to come on board and sort of partner with him to help build the business in the US. And just getting back to your point is we, we have built, you know, Pipeline, I've been with Pipeline now five or six years now, and we are one of those companies that, uh, you know, we had, we had some investment at the beginning, some, um, you know, but, but mainly it's been a bootstrapped business and we have, you know, pretty self-financed and built it up. And, uh, and to your point, it, I think it does give you a level of almost forced creativity, right? Yeah. Because you have to, you have to think very carefully about what you do. You have to think very carefully about where you spend your money. You have to be really clever in, in finding different ways to market and build your brand when you're not when you're not sitting there with a pot of like fifty million that some uh, venture capital company just gave you and said, "Oh, here's like ten million. Spend on Google AdWords, right?" Yes. Uh, and and. And, and unfortunately, that's the model that everybody follows now. And what you see is it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a hamster wheel because uh, you know, people get money from the venture capitals and then they immediately invest it into you know, Google ads or something like that, something that everybody else is doing. So what does that do? It drives up the cost of, yes. of those ads, right? And so it becomes this never-ending cycle of the, the prices go up and up, more money is poured into it, and the effectiveness goes down. And so we didn't have the money to spend on that. And to be honest, observing the other people, we said, even if we had the money, we wouldn't do it. And so it forced us to be a lot more creative in building our business. And that's one of the reasons why we said, you know, content is really important. And we, we really believe in the education of salespeople anyway. So mm. we started... Uh, instead of just having another of those throwaway blogs, we started Sales Pop Online Sales Magazine and so started before, to bring thought. Sorry, before, we, before we get there, because mm -hmm. there's a few things you said, I just want to unpack a little bit. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is, um, if you, um, so the first thing is that actually resilience is built from learning from failure to a mm -hmm. certain extent. And you think having an ROI culture where actually you're investing your own money, where you actually take it and, read and learn from them, rather than actually having, as you said, 10 million quid to spend on that Google AdWords, not really caring whether it works or not. So do you think, do you think you've learned from sort of managed failure and actually got stronger as a result of that? And, and if that's the case, is actually failure part of um, something which is not welcome, but part of the culture in a way? Yeah, I, I, I would, uh, I would absolutely, uh, I would absolutely subscribe to that. And I think when people think, when you mention the word failure, I mean, I think mm. people always think of it in a catastrophic fashion, right? Yes, you know, yes. they think, they think, oh, did everything collapse? You say, no. It's sometimes a failure, as you know, comes from just trying things and they don't work, and uh, you have to switch gears and try something different. And I think, yes, and I would agree. I think when you are, when you are spending your own money or when you have very little money to spend, uh, you tend to be a lot more discerning in what you do. You also tend to measure it more closely because you know that you can't let something run for, for a long period of time if it's not, uh, if it's not returning any results, right? Um, whereas obviously if you have a huge pot of money behind you, you can get a little lackadaisical about the ROI, uh, whereas you can't here. And I do think what, what it does teach you, and I think the idea of failure or things not working, what it does teach you is that you have to 
really focus on what you're doing. You have to measure it. And I think the most important thing, if it's not working, you got to get out of it quickly. Yeah. You've got to get out of it quickly. And that's the real skill, isn't it? That's no, that the yeah. difference between having grit and hanging on and, yes. have, and having what the word out that came to mind when you were chatting earlier was being savvy about it, isn't it? It's knowing yeah. where you've got the leading indicators that say this isn't working, mm-hmm. it hasn't hit this, this and this. And yeah. now what's interesting and is, and it, and it ties into a point you were saying earlier that actually you've earned your spurs to work in this business because you've run a number of businesses and you know enough to have mm-hmm. written a book. I think these days when entrepreneurialism has become a bit fashionable, people don't have that nouse, that savviness to have done it two or three times for somebody else to know what it's like for themselves when failure is imminent. Yeah, and I think that's a, and I think that's a good point. And one thing I've, I've, I'm eternally grateful for is, uh, as I said, I, I ran two businesses for in in former. Yes. The English company, one was Huthway to spin selling and the other one was Omega, which was uh, financial credit training. But uh, what I had to do running those businesses and we were allowed to run them autonomously, pretty much autonomously. Um, so, you know, I was CEO of both companies and you pretty much run the business yourself. The only thing is you had to deliver the results. Right. Yeah. And in, in those cases, it was profit. It was operating profit was what we were, you know, what I was uh, compensated on. So. So immediately, and I and I was there. I think six, seven years, maybe eight. I can't remember now. But uh, but whatever it was, uh, it really taught me that I needed to know the business inside out and backwards, right? Not just not just sort of on the sales side, not just on the marketing side, but on the operations side, on the implementation, and know every where every penny in the business was going because from a selfish point of view at the end of the day if i'm going to get compensated on profit i'm going to make sure that we're very efficient right yeah and those and that's why i'm very grateful for those lessons that that taught me because now when you carry into into business and we live in this world of oh no it's a land grab it's just top line revenue that's all that matters we always have an eye on that's all well and good, but how do we scale this and how do we actually make it profitable? And I think that's a different lens. And I think you're correct. I think, um, unfortunately, if you've never run a P&L properly, right, or a business where you're uh, responsible, not just for top line, but for the bottom line as well, it's very easy to get lost or get caught up in this culture of mm. you know, top line, top line, top line, and never really looking at, okay, eventually as a business evolves how is this business going to become self-sustaining it's interesting isn't it because the question you hear most often asked from small business owners in particular is when should i when should i stop pursuing something and it's it's almost for me it's almost the most naive question you can ever ask because actually you know you really should know the answer to that question and actually what you've done is what a lot of us have done which is you sort of practice with somebody else's money haven't you and, yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and which and is the best, of course. a great learning place. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes, you know, having a boss that's, um, you know, is, is actually not just where you learn your trade, but it's actually we learn the sort of discipline you need. And I think, yeah. I, I actually think it's, there are very few good leaders and managers in the world. If you've ever had one in your life, you've been pretty lucky. And, um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest challenges then when you begin to lead your own business, isn't it? It's actually, hmm. You know, am I am I as good as I could be 
rather than just hitting and hoping and guessing and failing and bouncing back and wasting somebody else's money, which, which almost seems a bit sort of disrespectful to somebody else's cash, yeah. I always think. No, it, it, I, I agree with you, it is. And, it, and it's interesting, and I think it's very hard. I really do sympathise, and I think it's very, very hard for leaders in, in, in business today and people coming into leadership positions because it seems to me to be getting overly complicated unnecessarily i would say in many ways but people are getting bombarded now by uh all of this thing about how you should be uh, what a real leader is and and how and how you should be you know down there down in the weeds with everybody being very open and personal about every and and it just seems to me that there's it's become a lot it's become very complicated and i think i think it's I think in many ways, uh, leaders have become quite fearful yes. in many ways uh, because it's almost like the balance, you know, the pendulum maybe was too far in favor of, um, you know, kind of command and control, strict leadership, but it now it seems to have swung to the other side. So I think there's a, there's a need for some balance to, to, to come back into it, but I definitely sympathize. It's, it's, very, it's very hard to lead businesses today. And I think the other part is, that I think, going going back to what you were saying earlier, it's kind of funny about when you think about traditional business and you say, okay, traditional business really looks at business fundamentals and you know profit and all of that. But on the flip side, uh, you can still be quite uh, progressive and innovative in yes. other ways. Absolutely. Whereas what we have do, what we have done with uh, what we've done with Pipeliner is that we made a decision a number of years ago when we started looking around and we were saying, okay, where, where will we put our headquarters? Uh, and where's the best place for us to have a, a headquarters and a building and get people to come? And the more we looked at it, the more we thought, why are, why are we looking at having a headquarters and a building? Is it, yes. uh, is it because we need it particularly, or is it because that's kind of what's expected of us? And then we said, hold on yeah. a second. If we do that, if we set up a building, say we, we, set up a big headquarters in, in, in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Uh, all right, we're already condemning people to horrendous commuting. Right? Yes. That's, that's yes. a given. We're reducing our talent pool to something that's manageable within that commutable area, or we're going to start paying people to uproot their lives and come and live in this area, which may not suit them and is expensive anyway. And then we said, well, why are we... We're we're a technology company. We we can operate. We operate very well um, virtually. Why why don't we build largely a virtual company and not do offices where we don't have to? I mean, exactly. where we have our mm. we have our software developers in an office in Bratislava. That makes sense for them to be together. But for the rest of the people, we're saying when you're a knowledge worker, why don't we go find the best people where they are? Mm, as opposed to trying to make them. So so we have. So what I like to think of now is that we have. We have a, a business that has traditional business fundamentals and is basically based on those. And in fact, um, very much on the, on the principles in the Austrian School of Economics is so what we uh, subscribe to and the teachings like of Peter Drucker and Friedman Mal- Dr. Friedman Malik. Uh, and on the other side, we're very, very progressive in that we are allowing people to live where they want. We're, we're accessing talent from across the globe. If you like it, I mean, we're, we're, we're being extremely uh, green in our approach because our carbon yes. footprint is ze- almost zero, yeah, you know, yeah. when we're doing things like that. And so, but, on the, but what I'm saying is it's funny, it's that the, the companies that come out with these disruptive business models, right? And yeah. uh, 
the minute they get money, what do they do? Yeah. And like they, they, they're in Silicon Valley, office. a lot of yeah. them build a big office, That's right. force people to live in high rent areas and all yeah. of this and create all. And it just seems like such a dichotomy. And I wonder, yes, and I wonder if actually because they don't know anything else but that, you see, and yeah. or or actually they're actually working for the PE firms who do like yeah. they do like an office, don't they? However, just going back to your thing, and if you've got these virtual networks, yeah. I mean, how how do you foster that sort of teamwork and ethic, that ethic, or you know that sort of socialization thing? Yeah, and it's funny. It's like, I've talked to this. I've talked to a lot of people about this, and sometimes they say, "Oh, you know, you should do virtual coffee meetings and blah blah blah." Um, and I, and I will be perfectly honest with you. Uh, if you turn back the clock to when I ran those companies, I, I did not like people working from home. I did not like virtual workers. I thought yeah. this cannot work, right? Think, yeah. And it and I've I've done like a one eighty on it, and and I have found that. When you're working with collaboratively online with somebody, and we use you know, online communication tools like you know, Skype and Slack and all of that, I find you actually build very, very good relations because it's much. It, in, in some ways, it's much more focused. Yes. I don't know how to. Exp- I don't know how to explain it, but it's like it's I more have purposeful, really, isn't it? It's more purposeful, and over time, you learn about those people. And I have, yeah. I have like really good relationships and stuff with some people. And then I, then I think one day, I think, hang on, I've never met that person in person. I mean, I've seen their, you know, because I've been on, uh, yes. on video and stuff with them. But then I think, I, I, I feel like I know them really well, but we've never actually physically met. But and and actually, so I, you think about that for a second. If you think about um, internet dating and chat rooms, I'm yeah. sorry, bear with me for a second. We know about the dopamine <laughs> hits that we get from people yeah. chatting online and validation mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And you get actually relationships forming and bonding online without actually anybody ever meeting anybody. So yeah. does, if, you've got a, if you've got a purposeful culture where you're hiring people who can thrive in that sort of world yeah. and then you're giving them the right tools, this you know, why should, why should we be bound by the convention that we all have to sit in an office and we all have to have meetings or we all have to, you know, if you think about one of the biggest burnout causes today, it's wasted time in meetings. So actually, oh yeah, you know, surely you're giving people hours back every week that can, you know, either be productive with or, you know, chat out with. Well, yeah, and you're, and as I said, you're not forcing them to sit in cars and waste their time on commuting. Yeah. You're help, you're saving them money on that too. You're allowing them to be there for when their kids go to school in the morning, welcome them home. With you. I mean, just stuff that's like priceless as far as I'm concerned. And then, and here's another thing that we we also introduced. And then, okay, so maybe it's people of certain age and certain circumstances, right? Who this works really well for. So family, people, whatever. Maybe if you're a young millennial or a generation Z, maybe you want a little bit more of that kind of socialization. So what we've done now is that when we have people who are who are maybe younger or people who, who crave that kind of environment, then we put them into one of those, uh, you know, shared workspaces. Yeah. So that they can then... They can go to the same place every day. They can meet the same people. They can you know, hang out, have coffee, go have the after work networking events, all of that kind of stuff. So give them the things that maybe people, people like, like many of us, like me, have, uh, we've moved on from. Yes. Well, and, and, the point, and the point is we've moved on from it, but it was an important yeah. thing to have at that time. And I remember yeah. when I was you know, 20 years younger, I used to work in the central London and actually going, mm-hmm. to, the, going to a bar after work yeah was part of actually the networking and politicking and joshing and socialization that was necessary at the time because for a lot of people it can be very lonely living in big cities and you know work becomes their life 
Yeah, yeah. So that's why we have. Uh, that's good. Yeah, you know, we have looked to how we can accommodate all the different uh, all the different uh, needs and styles. And I think it's a, and like and like we said at the early on in the conversation, I think. Uh, not having tons and tons of venture capital money or whatever behind you, it really does make you think a little more and be a little bit more creative. And I think the results are, uh, it's uh, in many ways, it allows you to achieve breakthrough thinking that you mightn't achieve otherwise. Yes. I, 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 you know, I listen to people like Gary Vanacek and such like him and who's yeah. been there and is, is a big, you know, a bit gobby in this sort of area, but he's right. And I often think PE firms should loan the money to people rather than just give it to them and take shares yeah. because actually, you know, it's a very old model to to borrow from your bank and actually that yeah. discipline about actually having to make a, a regular repayment is actually part of the discipline and the beat rate of a business, isn't it? The idea that, you know, you've got in, uh, expenditure that goes out, you know, twelve times a year. Twelve times a year, so you actually have to have some income as well, because otherwise, yeah. you know, your business goes bust in two months. It doesn't go bust in five years. Uh, exactly, exactly. And like we said, unfortunately, I think it, it even with the best of intentions, it reduces the accountability because you really don't. You can afford to take some chances, and you can afford to go. Oh, okay, sure. well, that was that, that couple of million that didn't work. Never mind. We we'll go and spend a couple of million over here. Yeah, and, and it's lovely, isn't I it? Think... I mean, the idea is lovely when you run your own business. You sit and look at these people, and you say to yourself, you know, I'm setting up. Actually, I'm setting up a sort of a therapy centre on the south coast. And part of my thinking was, shall I go and shall I go and get a VC to pump in a few million quid? Because you know it's going to. If you can combine those two worlds, you know you're going to be okay. But then you think it to yourself. Oh yeah. Oh, hmm. that sort of mitigates the point of doing it because part of what I want to do is learn learn it. You know, if you're going to start yeah. doing this stuff, you want to engage with the the. You want to get your fingernails dirty in the sort of heart of your business, so so then you can get out of it and get out of the way and learn the lessons. So you you moved on to the sales podcast. So tell me tell me the thinking behind that because you'll have interviewed lots of people who. Um, have all sorts of stories about resilience and grit and bouncing back and such like as as part of that um, engagement with the sales process. Yeah, uh, and I think it's I've been blessed to be perfectly honest because when I, uh, as I said, um, I think it was three or four years ago, we were transitioning our our old blog, and uh, I kind of looked at it and I said, you know, why why are we doing? It? Everybody just does a blog, and blogs have become tired, and they've become kind of become like. Uh, you know, something that, yeah, it's like you need to, have, when you have your website, you need to have a, an about us page and you need to have a blog, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it's become that kind of thing. And I said, well, you know, let's, let's, let's experiment. Let's, let's build an online magazine and then really give back. And so we started the process and we built this online magazine and I started to interview just a couple of people and do these, uh, you know, 15, 20 minute interviews with them. And then um, the founder of Pipeline, actually, Nicholas, uh, his wife, Claudia, uh, joined me in this endeavor. And she started reaching out as if she would have reached out to you. She started searching uh, around for interesting thought leaders and reaching out to them and seeing if they'd be interested in, in, uh, in being interviewed. And now I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people over the years from all corners of the globe, from very, uh, you know, all different, uh, different approaches. And I think when it comes to the idea of, of resilience, um, you know, I've, I've talked to people, one, one person I remember, she's, I think uh, Cara Brookins is her name, she, and I think there's even a movie coming out uh, based on her life where she 
was uh, divorced or something and left with a bunch of kids and no money. And she actually, her kids, her, they all came together and they built their own house, like literally built their own house with their own hands. Yeah. Uh, and, and how you, you know, how you can bounce back from adversity like that. Another person I interviewed who had like a, a life threatening disease and was told they'd be dead by their 20 and they're in their thirties now helping other people. And then just in sales in general, because it's a tough business to be in where you get a lot of no's. Uh, it's, the one, it's the one job where you, you get more rejection than you do, um, you know, positive reinforcement, if you like. Yes. So you have to have that kind of resistance. And I think it all boils down to, at the end of the day, is you have to ask yourself why you are doing what you're doing. Yes. And I think that's the real. And so if you're in if you're in sales, for instance, I think you have to step back and say, why am I in sales? Am I in sales just to have a job? Am I in sales just to make money or am I in sales because, you know, something I'm really good at helping clients solve business problems and I'm selling a product or a service that can really help them in their business. And I enjoy and I want to. I'm excited to bring that to them and i think if you have that and you are you're in it for the right reasons and you and you look at yourself like that i think then you can overcome anything it's same it's with your business if you believe in your business if you believe if you want to do the best for people if you want to have happy customers people who are benefiting from what you're doing i think that can get you through a lot of the hard times i think where people really really struggle is when they have never taken a step back and asked themselves why they're why they're really doing what they're doing yes and i think that's an important thing for everybody to do is just ask yourself at the end of the day uh is this is this something that you are willing to invest 100% in or if you're not then perhaps perhaps you shouldn't be doing this. Perhaps you should be doing something else. And that's okay. And I think that's the other thing, Russell, to be honest, I think that's one of the, the toughest things nowadays is there's so much pressure on, on people to succeed, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes that pressure comes from spouses or partners or family or, or maybe you perceive society in general is not going to view you in such a way as if you're not at a certain level, maybe the, maybe the class you come from, the school or whatever, and I think sometimes people need to take a step back and just say, you know something, I don't want that. Mm. That's not what I want. Mm. And, and, I, and I think so. I think you have to bring a level of honesty because if you're not really 100% invested in something, I think you'll, you'll never, when the going gets tough, you won't have the resilience. You won't have the wherewithal to see yourself through it because the foundation's not there. And, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, because you get different types of worker, don't you? And you have people mm-hmm. who who, you know, they're doing three jobs, they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're, you know, they're struggling to make ends meet, they're, um, you know, you're doing that sort of thing, you're all, you're, you know, maybe minimum wage jobs, all that sort of stuff, they're getting, they're getting none of that sort of enrichment. And, yes. and yeah, and, and people have to work for all sorts of different reasons. And it's, that's the point you were saying earlier about being blessed, isn't it? It's that thing where you, yeah. one can indulge oneself in that, you know, ability to have that sort of choice. Now, I believe you yeah. have that choice wherever you are, you know, even mm-hmm. if you're doing the minimum wage thing, because we, we've all had but, a go but think, Yeah, exactly. But think about it. I mean, if you are working three jobs, uh, minimum wage jobs or whatever, and your goal is to put food on the table and to send your kids to school or whatever, get a good mm-hmm. education for them, that's your um, then that's your purpose. Yeah. And that's a great purpose. And that's a very noble purpose. And that's something... But if you're just if you're just doing a job and you're just drawing a paycheck and you can't really 
you can't really answer that question about why am I doing this? Do I even like this? Do I, am I even invested in it? Do I even have a purpose here? Uh, I think that's something that that's a conversation that you have to have with yourself because, uh, you know, you need, you need to have some driving purpose and at the end of the day or else, yeah, you can drive, you can draw a paycheck, but you're not really earning it fully. Well, and it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, you know, you talk about, um, yeah, I often bump into people who, you know, say they're working a nine to five job, they get there five minutes yeah. to nine, they leave at five yeah. minutes past five, they're, they're committed whilst they're there and they go home and then they have, you know, hobbies and passions and interests outside of work. And that's the point, isn't it? You don't always have to be the CEO of an organisation, but it makes sense to go, if you're going to spend that much time in your life, it does make sense to actually you know, get something from it or see it as a stepping stone somewhere else. And you often find the people who are stuck in the three jobs thing is they've got no plan. They've got no sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. They've got no idea where they're going. They're just sort of bumping from one stage to the next. And you have to have that. You have to have that. um, And I think sometimes we're not educated because we're not used to failing. We're not educated with saying, well, how do you get out of that? You know, and it's, and it's choice, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes people don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's, and I and I think that's a really important point, um, Russell. And it's something that I've been contemplating a lot recently. Like I said, is that, is I think I think one of the greatest, lib- one of the most liberating things you can do. Number well, there's a couple of things. Number one is self awareness. Okay. Yeah. But the second second thing is, I think once you accept complete responsibility for your life. Yeah, so really. where I am today, what's happening in my life is absolutely 100% my, belongs to me. Yeah. It's my fault, good or bad. If life is wonderful, it's my fault. If life isn't so great, it's my fault. That's it. And, and put aside all of this tendency, and unfortunately, it's pervasive in the culture now, this blame culture, right, where you, you blame circumstances or blame other people or whatever. But when you can let go of that and you can say, yes, you know, that person wasn't particularly helpful. Maybe things could have been different. But then again, I put myself in that situation. Right? So maybe it, maybe I got passed over for promotion. Well, you know something, I have a choice. I can leave the company, go somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of choice. But I think once you take, once you accept that you're 100% responsible for your own life. Yeah. It's a very liberating. It's a very liberating experience, even yeah. in the worst of times, because at least you can go, okay, yeah, this sucks, but it's on me. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's what the secret of all resilience is about choice and control. As soon as you can yeah. open yourself up to that. And, and people, and people it's, a, it's a big lesson. It's a big lesson. And, um, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a momentous lesson, to be perfectly yeah. honest, because... Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to take a step back and you have to say, yes, I'm, you know, I'm responsible for my life. So at the end of the day, if I'm, you know, say even in work context, as, as I said, so maybe I think my boss isn't treating me fairly or I'm not getting a fair shake here. I have zero control over that, correct. right? Yeah, correct. I have zero control. What I do have control is how I react to it exactly. and whether I choose to continue to put myself in that situation. And again, you said it comes back to choice. It's like, it's when people say, well, there's nothing I can do. I need this job or whatever. And you go, well, that's, you know, you could get another job or you could move departments or there's a lot of things you can do. It's you're choosing not to do them. Yeah. And I think that's the case is you are choosing not to exercise all of the choices that you have available to you. And as a consequence, you're enabling the situation. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really is that simple. 
and the longer I talk to people and I mean in my work I, I spend a lot of time with people who argue with me that they have no choice uh, and I have people in my own family who tell me they have no choice and you look at them yeah. and say well in having no choice that is a choice in itself yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're making, you're 150% yeah. making, making a choice to remain yeah. where you are. Well, you're choosing, you're, making, you're choosing to have no choices. Yeah, exactly. And you're choosing to believe that you have no choices yeah. again. And, 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 and then I don't like to, you know, everybody's circumstances are different. But, sure, of course. Um, I would just, I would just say from my own experience, even in the States is, you know, I, as I said, I came over here uh, during the dot-com era. And then ultimately, you know, there was the dot-com implosion. And the company I was working for got sold and uh, I ended up then having to find another job. And, and then so that meant moving from San Francisco down to Orange County, which in, in the U.S. is not a massive distance of a move, but it, you know, in other places it would be. Um, then I moved over. Then uh, I was at a job there for a while and I needed to, to change things. And, and so ended up, you know, I had a, I had, at this stage I had a wife and I had a, an infant baby. And I moved over to the to the East Coast. I mean, mm. massive move. And she'd never, my wife had never lived outside of California before. So, and we moved over um, to the East Coast. And then eventually we ended up in the, in the Washington DC area. We moved down there. And then eventually we moved back to San Diego. And the only point, my only point in, in, in bringing that is, those are not easy things to do, to yeah. uproot and go. Uh, and especially when you, you know, when, especially when you just have a, you know, when you have a small child and a family. And a lot of times that will be things where people say, I can't do this now. You know, there's too many things in the way I can't change my life like that. But I always found is you just have to, you just have to grab it and you have to go and do it. And, it's, and it's, remove it's, those things it, and just... It's remarkable how, how sometimes just doing things just happens to work out, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. And the good part is, and maybe not, and maybe they won't work out initially because i always yeah. say i mean there's a few i'm not going to pretend that there wasn't a couple of missteps in my career over the, the but i don't but we're looking back on them i never look back on them as mistakes because i say sometimes you do something uh and it, maybe you take a job maybe that job doesn't work out and maybe it's not anything that you imagine it's good maybe it's a complete disaster but it leads you to something else because then it forces you to go and look for something else, right? Yeah. And then you go to something else and then maybe that works out. So I think life is not, you know, paths don't always lead, lead to destinations. Sometimes paths just lead to other paths, right? That, yeah. that eventually lead to just destinations. And I do think, and that's why the other thing is nowadays, I never look back on anything and say, I wish I hadn't done that or that, or, you know, that mm -hmm. was a mistake because I mm -hmm. always look and say, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't have taken those paths at those times and they were meant to be. And that's why I think the worst thing you can often do is just stay stuck. Yes. You've got to take a few chances. And you've, and as we said about learning from failure and you've got to be prepared that, yeah, you're going to, sometimes it's not going to work out, but it's ultimately it will. You've got to have the faith that ultimately you'll get to where you want to go to. Now, John, I've just looked at the time. <laughs> I said I was going to be very, very respectful of your time and not go over half an hour. But we've been, we've been jabbering away, thoroughly enjoying ourselves. And I'm going to have to bring this to a close because I oh, yes, you have absolutely. other things to do. And um, well, look, how can people get hold of you? How can people get hold of this uh, podcast and have a listen in? Because you've got some fantastic guests and... You know. Yeah, so so uh, there's a number of ways. Number one would be salespop.net. That's S A L E S P O P dot net. Yeah. That is the online mag. That's the online magazine where you can get the best in 
thought leadership, including uh, Russell, your good self there. Hey. And and then also PipelinerSales.com. That's uh, Pipeliner CRM. So PipelinerSales.com if you want to check out our CRM. I mean, listen, I'm on LinkedIn, John Golden. You can see me there. Please reach out, contact me, connect with me. If you've got something interesting to say and you think uh, you'd make a good interview for SalesPop, yeah, just reach out to me. But SalesPop.net. And listen, Russell, this has been a fantastic conversation. As you say, I didn't even notice the time, to be honest. So right. that's always uh, a good I'm sign. I'm good. You, you're, <laughs> I notice you're slipping into interview in mode and starting to wrap the podcast up, but it's, you can relax. Oh, no. I'm going to do all that. <laughs> but John, just, just from my, you know, my own self and from my audience, thanks so much for spending time with us. I've really appreciated it. And, you know, there's some big old takeaways there. Um, I'm going to look forward to Paula actually listening to this podcast and her trying to pull out a single theme because I think that's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge. But uh, thanks so much. Well, for you can tell her. Time. Tell her my my apologies in advance. Uh, that I do uh, I do tend to ramble a little. Well, an Irish guy and a Geordie. I mean, that's almost the beginning yeah. of a joke, isn't it? All we need to have done is walk to a pub, and we would have been there. Exactly, and met a Scotsman, and we'd be all good. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, you take care. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site qedod.com forward slash podcasts and subscribe to hear other titles in our series. Or you can contact us at info at qedod.com to hear and find out more about tough love, leadership, accountability, resilience and burnout. You can go to our site qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 to hear and get access to a load of resources to help you manage and fight burnout and you can go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook to hear more about the fundamentals of resilience until the next episode keep on thriving